Welcome to Factum Audio, dedicated to New Zealand's primary industry. Each week, I talk with farmers and producers, industry and policy makers to hear their stories and expert opinions on matters relevant to both our rural and our urban communities. Over the next few episodes, I'm taking a look at research New Zealand scientists are conducting to explore the differences between pasture-raised beef and lamb versus grain-fed beef and lamb, and indeed alternative proteins. In the first two episodes, I'm talking with ag research scientist Scott Knowles to get an understanding of what the research is all about and what Scott's particular involvement is. Let's check in with him now. Hello, Scott. Thank you for your time today. Uh pleasure to be here. Appreciate the, the flattery of the invitation. I hope I can deliver. <laughs> Please, can you tell me about the work that you do? Um, well, I, I'm a scientist, uh, research scientist at AgResearch in Palmerston North, and AgResearch is one of the Crown Research Institutes, and one particularly uh, devoted and core-purposed to the pastoral industries. So, Mm-hmm. Meat and milk and grasslands and all the things that uh, that grow and thrive on grasses. Um, my role over the last twenty five years has has uh, covered a lot of areas and have worn a bunch of hats. Um, but what it's always circled around, I guess, is that is this concept of pasture to plate, of knowing that what we grow and what the animals that that live on the grass that we grow and the quality of those animals make the quality of the meats and milks and that influences the nutrition and that changes the consumer perceptions and health um, and ultimately the consumer buy-in to what we produce. So AgriSearch is is terrific in that it it covers that whole pasture-to-plate continuum and I've been lucky enough to, to dip into it at many places. I started in animal science and animal health and now I'm at the other end of the spectrum um, in consumer sciences and food technologies and um, consumer nutrition. Fantastic. I understand you're part of a research team that is comparing pasteurized beef and lamb that we produce here in New Zealand against grain finished protein that is commonplace in countries like the USA for example and indeed products like plant-based alternatives. Is that right? Yep. Yep, that, that that is a, a great program. I'm lucky to be part of. Uh, that the aim of that work is is fundamentally is to sort of identify how pasture feeding influences and enhances the composition and nutrition and function of beef. Um, mm. As you say, the pasture raising is our go-to um, farming system, and it's what really drives our competitiveness in in the world markets. And we wanted to take a look at what that really means for meat quality and how it compares to other farm systems. As, as you mentioned, the grain finished type that is more characteristic of Northern hemisphere, think mm. feedlots and the sort. And then we wanted to expand to also include this, uh, this emerging sector of uh, meat alternatives um, that is taking, uh, I don't know, uh, it's getting a lot of press. It's starting yeah. to get a lot of traction in terms of consumer interest and, and um, in true, truth, consumer purchase. Um, and we want to know how we fit in with that and what are its benefits, what are its challenges, and where, where can we position beef to be a good choice for people who want uh, a healthy, balanced diet. Mm. From what I can gather, the research is broken down into four stages. Can you tell me about the four stages? 
sure, sure. This is it's a <laughs> what I outlined there is is a big aim, mm. and so it takes um, big programs of which mm. this is is one of them that <sighs> cover a range. Um, back to the pasture, the plate. Uh, paradigm, I guess, mm. is we're looking in one of the objectives at the composition of the, the meat from either pasture-raised animals or from grain-finished animals, as well as um, a meat alternative that's available commercially in supermarkets. We're looking at that's kind of a I don't know a deep dive into the the composition of these products mm. people will know from looking at the back of any uh, of any package of food and looking at the ingredients and looking at the nutrition information panels that there's proteins and carbohydrates and fats and salts and things mm. you dig deeper um you start to see um i don't know more differences between kinds of foods and, and the technologies that we have in laboratories these days are becoming so advanced that we get down to molecular levels and we can get identify compounds and important metabolites in foods that just haven't seen the light of day because mm -hmm. the technology wasn't there to examine them in detail. So we're, we're in the objective one, the first part of it, it's really looking at the composition in detail. So we can say, well, this is a difference. Let's pursue the health opportunities around this difference of these metabolites that are in beef and not our pasture-raised beef, but not in grain finish. The second objective, um, because this is food, the first thing you need to do with, um, or second thing after you eat it, <laughs> the second thing <laughs> you need to do with food is digest it. Mm. And so the second objective is all about laboratory methods and by laboratory that that implies that they're tightly controlled they're not they're not real life but it mm. also means you can control vagaries of different people's stomachs um we're looking at the digestion of the meat and the alternative meat in things called um in vitro digesters or a, a very cool device um that our collaborators have um called a human gastric simulator which is, is sort of a bench-top stomach that, that gurgles and grinds and kneads and, and treats food that you put in its gullet, kind of like your real stomach does. Mm. And then in any of either of those, they, they then look at what comes out in the sense of how digested did the food get with the enzymes and the acids? What, what fatty acids and what amino acids were released? How effective was digestion? And that's much easier to do in a laboratory than it is to do in a real person. So that's objective two. Then it goes to the third part, which is, well, food is for people. Let's put it in some. <laughs> and so yeah. it's a it's an acute clinical trial, and by acute just meaning short term, in which a single meal containing either the pasture raised or the grain finished um, beef, or in this case also lamb, and also the alternative meat, is fed to volunteers and then they graciously let us take their blood for four or five hours after they've eaten the meal. And that means we can have a look at what the products of digestion and absorption are. It all it goes into your mouth, gets into your stomach, gets broken down, gets absorbed, gets into your blood, circulates for a while until the those nutrients, the things you've eaten, find their home in particular organs and places where they go. But for a while, they're circulating in your blood. And we can measure that with, with um, 
a number of neat technologies and you the typical path uh, or the typical thing you see is a low value of some nutrient they eat the meal that value goes up to a peak and then mm -hmm. over time it it slides down again so that's the acute one meal of these things take mm -hmm. a look then the fourth part um says all well and good feeding to people but people don't eat just one meal in their lives they eat diets they mm. have lifestyles and this is a longer chronic or longer term uh, type of study that is, will be over a course of 10 weeks in which we have 80 participants organized as couples um, who are uh, eating flexitarian diets or vegetarian diets mm. over these 10 weeks um, and the, the flexitarian ones contain meat or lamb uh, beef or lamb for three days of the weeks and the uh, vegetarian ones contain the meat alternative for those um, uh, three or four times a week and we're that one's looking at a lot more than just blood uh, people are free living they're not in the clinic so so we can't um, feed and bleed them as often <laughs> but we do we do have all manner of ways to look at well-being um, our interest is does the kind of diet you have not just change your physiology um, that's what people don't usually eat to change what their blood contains. They eat because they want to feel good. They want to be active. Um, they want to engage with the meal in interesting ways. Yep. And so we've got um, collaborators who are helping us figure out how to measure these kind of softer type measurements, um, things that have to do with uh, questionnaires of anxiety and stress and depression um, with they, they're wearing activity monitors for 10 weeks so we can see whether one meal in one type of meal and lifestyle encourages more activity than the other they're, they're wearing sleep monitors does mm. eating a meat based diet a good flexitarian balanced diet help you sleep better than a vegetarian one um, we're we're there in quite a lot of social media built into this and so we're we have some um clever folks who are monitoring their social media feeds all oh, this is of course um agreed to yeah <laughs> um, to see how they're how they are engaging with others about their diets you talk about the softer aspects but that must be quite a harder science to research wouldn't it be it, uh, it is it is and i and i am um i'm an empiricist and a, and a biochemist kind of thing so it's it's a, a learning curve for me but fortunately we have um collaborators at university of otago mm. who are social scientists and psychologists and they mm. design the the questionnaires and the surveys and understand what you can ask and what you can learn from this kind of study that is legitimate mm. more than just asking people do you feel better yeah and just on you touch on some of the methods can we dive a bit deeper into that uh in terms of what some of those methods are to investigate the differences in pasture-fed protein versus, absolutely versus grain-fed proteins versus and indeed of course one. and indeed of course the uh, plant-based uh, proteins that's mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um <laughs> the ways to analyze for um the, the gross nutrients or the uh, crude content of things, the sort of stuff that is listed on um, nutrition information panels on food, that's total protein and total fats. That has been around for donkey's years. So that's easy enough to do. The new technologies allow us to, to go deeper. And so um, in particular, we look at the total fatty acid 
profile. So fats, most fats are made up of fatty acids, and you can think of um, ones that are familiar like the saturated fatty acids. People at least know that by name. Many of those are in meat and in coconut and other things. Or you can think of the fish oils, which are the long-chain omega-3 fatty acids. Mm. Um, Oleic in olive oil. Why is why do people love olive oil besides the besides the flavor? It's the oleic fatty acid in it, particular one. So that's fatty acids are much in variety, and mm. with the technologies, we can have a look at how the fatty acid profiles differ between the meats, the kinds of farming system meats, and the alternative. Mm. And then we also have uh, something called lipidomics, which is more in depth looking at. Everything in, in your cells that is lipid-based, uh, meaning uh, fat-soluble. Mm-hmm. And that's not just droplets of fat, but there's a, a startlingly, a startling large number of things that are lipidic molecules in your cells. Um, vitamins, a, a vitamin A, D, E, and K. All of those are fat-soluble vitamins. They only mm-hmm. float around in the fat fraction, so you, you have to use methods that can look at those specifically. The sterols. Um, the uh, phytochemicals from uh, uh, that you get from absorbing plants, phytosterols, are all lipidic, and so we we look at these with lipidomics, and that's a mass spectrometry technique um, that can get down to insanely low concentrations. It gets to the point. It, mm. it, some of these techniques are so sensitive that you have to be sensible about what you measure. Does yeah. it, what I'm measuring really make a difference? Okay. You know, I yep. found one molecule of this. Doesn't matter. Mm. But mm. that's what our nutritionists are for. And then the lastly, quickly, this metabolomics, which is another um, word for a kind of mass spectrometry that um, looks at all the metabolites in a cell. And that's that's all the small molecules that are floating in around in your cells that make them do the things they do. The the sugars and the um i don't know the bitter kinds of compound here's anything think about anything you taste that is bitter that's a small molecule that's an example of a metabolite that has been made from by a plant or anything else that you might eat um alkaloids uh, the neurotransmitters um all the things that cells use to communicate with one another those are small metabolites and we can measure those Mm. And what we do then is look and see, well, we found all this stuff. What's different between the pasture raised versus the grain finished? Mm. Interesting. So what has the research presented so far? Are are there differences in cuts of meat from each food source physically? And do they taste different? (laughs) Um, Anybody who's barbecued will have a preference probably for (laughs) their different kinds of cuts or Mm. anybody who has had to front up at the supermarket and pay for things will have an appreciation for different cuts. Indeed. Uh, And so we use this this study, one aspect of it was to take a look at three uh, primal cuts from beef and these were decided in in discussions with our MIA MIA partners and the industry um, and see which one might be best to use, most representative for our further analysis. So we mm. had a look at tenderloin, strip loin, and topside, which mm. is a kind of roast. Um, and all of the, I should say that I was going to talk about some of the differences with them, but I should point out that all of our work is on cooked meat. This is a little mm. different than you might see in the literature. 
for things that have, if you look up meat composition, a lot of time it's on the raw meat. And right. very rarely is that what people actually eat. Um, so we used established cooking methods to cook everything to a and Of course, that makes way. sense. But, yeah, I guess, but I guess then there'll be variations in the cook itself. That, that's right. There, there's, in the real world, there's lots of variations. In the mm. laboratory, we control that yep. um, reasonably well yep. because we're using um, uh, equipment that can be monitored. Sure. But the, but the difference in uh, cooking, I should say, is market um, food. <laughs> Dietitians have been telling this for a long way. Uh, you be careful how you cook things because you mm. can ruin it. Um, the, mm. the tenderloin <laughs> and strip loins were... Uh, hot griddled, so the sort of thing you do on a barbecue plate, yep. like you would with a good steak. Mm. The the top side is more of a casseroling meat, and so yep. it was done in a casserole style mm -hmm. with uh, in liquid and for a long while in the oven. And what that casseroling style does is it, unless you capture all the liquids in a casserole, you usually do. You eat the whole the whole darn thing. Um, you are losing a lot of the nutrition; just bakes right out of the meat. And so we found that to be a big difference, first off, was the cooking effect the, between mm. the topside style cooking and the steak style cooking. Um, between, say, the sirloin and, or the strip loin and the um, tender, uh, tenderloin, though cooked very similarly, um, some differences. Um, of course, the strip loin tends to be a little bit fattier in its gross composition. But one of one of the things that stood out for me, and and maybe for connoisseurs of different cuts with with sharp palates, was a strong difference in the presence of something called um, capric acid. Capric acid is another one of these fatty acids, okay. um, and it's a short one, a short one, shorter than a fish oil, let's say. Um, and yeah. From its name, uh, capra, which is part of the Latin for goat, uh, you can understand that it, how it was named uh, because of its goaty nature. Mm. It's, goat meat has plenty of capric acid in it. Well, I thought it was interesting to see between the, the fine cuts and the lesser cuts um, a difference in their capric acid composition. That's and, interesting. Yeah, it is. It, it, so it's subtle things down at that deep level of composition that make a difference both in nutrition, but also in perception mm. and enjoyment and and targets for um, breeding or for, I don't know, uh, for selecting of cuts, whatever else. You, if you can identify a characteristic that is less desirable, well, you can perhaps breed it out, um, find cooking methods that, that get around it, that sort of thing. So, kind of the, it's kind of one of the side benefits of deep dives into composition is helping us to understand what to do next to make meat the best possible food. Thank you to Scott, and of course you'll hear him again next week in the second part of the interview. It is fascinating work, and most certainly relevant work, as by and large our farming systems here in New Zealand are very different to many other food producing nations and getting a clearer picture, and indeed the science, to highlight the differences in pasture-based systems versus grain-fed ones, and of course alternative proteins, is quite exciting. If we are what we eat, and livestock are what they eat, then the future is bright for New Zealand's pastoral sector, but let's see where the science takes us. That's all from me this week. Thank you for listening, and catch you next time on Factum Audio.